0: I'm Don Ennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. And you're in the Transporter Room. We are recording a very special Thanksgiving weekend edition of the Transporter Room today. And instead of one guest, not two guests, we have six guests. We're going to review all of the amazing people who have joined us in the Transporter Room these last six episodes. Our first six episodes, this has been a lot of fun, hasn't it, Carly?
1: I've enjoyed it immensely. I'm looking forward to the shows that we have coming up, but (laughs) but taking a little bit of time to look at the stuff we've done already has been a big deal. We've had some great guests, and for those of you who are just coming to us for the first time, this will kind of get you caught up on the highlights of what's been a great run so far through these first six shows. We've had an icon, Monica Roberts. We've had a scholar,
0: Bethany Grace Howe. We've had a champion, C.C. Telfer. We have had a roller derby athlete. We've had so many great guests. I'm looking forward to hearing them again and talking with you about what our favorite moments were. But first, let's get to the news. Carly, did you hear? Scarlett Johansson has finally seen the light. She says she feels terrible about how she handled the transgender casting controversy for a movie she wanted to make last year, Rub and Tug. She actually quit the film based on the real life story of Dante Tex Gill. He was a trans man. She wanted to play the part of a trans man. Once again, following in the footsteps of Jeffrey Tambor, Jared Leto and Felicity Huffman as cisgender actors playing trans. And that's just a small sample. She got very, very angry at the backlash over that film and her own casting. Now she says she made a mistake. She realized that she mishandled it. She said she was not sensitive. She wasn't totally aware of how the trans community felt about cis actors playing transgender people. She actually calls herself uneducated and says she learned a lot through the process. It was a hard time, she says. It was like a whirlwind. I felt terribly about it. To feel like you're kind of tone deaf to something is not a good feeling. And you know what? That's exactly what she was, tone deaf. I'm glad to see her come around.
1: Well, I mean, at one level, I can kind of look at that and say, okay, somebody somebody from PR got in her ear, but... At the same time, I like the words. I will say I do like the fact that she that she did say I wasn't aware of it. I I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm uneducated. I'm uneducated at one level. Those words can some people it can strike them as performative, but I'm willing to get I'm willing to give her a little bit of the we cut her. I'll cut her a little bit of slack on this one because that takes a lot to say I didn't know what I was talking about. I have. I was tone deaf to it. I didn't read the tea leaves and and hopefully from there, she continues to educate herself, which is something to hope for and something to shoot for. I mean, you wish she would have done that at point of attack, but in this case, if it'll move things forward, that's better. I mean, if it'll move things forward and get us to that day. remember when Jeffrey Tambor won his Emmy, he said i want to be this I want this to be the last time someone sis is up here." accepting something or taking this part we need to give trans talent their opportunity if she comes to that moment then it all would have been worth it and but again i think the you know how i feel about these situations the real point when the rubber's going to meet the road is when trans creators get their stuff out there and can get funding and get support for their for their things so that our stories can be told our way from people who are us
0: totally agree with you it is um, disappointing that she's only come to uh, this realization while she's promoting
1: a new movie but that's Hollywood right mean, it's show business it'll change when more of our stories get out there being told our way for us and by us but this is where we're at right now in the entertainment business speaking of stories
0: told by us for us You wrote a story for Outsports about laces. What's that all about?
1: It's a campaign that's been going on by Stonewall UK, a leading LGBTQ organization in the United Kingdom since 2013. Well, this year, this is the week of the Rainbow Laces campaign where, where sports teams and athletes throughout the UK don rainbow laces. They do the fields up in rainbows too. To strike out against homophobia in sport, it began as a campaign against homophobia, specifically in English football, and it took off and rugby teams joined in, Uh, field hockey teams joined in, all sorts of sports joined in. And now this year, it's the biggest year ever. I mean, you've got teams from from the Barclays Premiership all the way down to some beer league team somewhere in the south of England putting rainbows on their laces and rainbows all over their field. Um, the second and third division leagues basically made it a theme for the next couple of weeks. Even the referees got involved in it. Rugby teams got involved to it. England's uh, women's rugby team went all rainbow laces for a series of fixtures over the last couple of weeks. And take a look at the article and you see all sorts of teams coming together In the entire second division in professional soccer in England, all the captains of all the teams wore rainbow armbands. And it's even spread across sports. Scottish rugby declared that they're going to put their full weight behind a big to get the Bingham Cup tournament to Scotland in 2022. Uh, You had Stonewall UK also announced their first 11, what they call their sporting champions. In a sense, their ambassadorship program, where they're going to have 11, where they pick a group of LGBTQ athletes. And kind of spread and use them to spread the word and the platform for inclusion. So it's been a great week all the way around. Even darts got involved with this. That's how big it got. And, it, and it's great to see. I would kind of like to see something like that in American sport. I would like to see that. I mean, they've done a lot of awareness with breast cancer. I'd like to see this. I'd like to see this happen. I was also impressed to learn about Charlie Martin. I hadn't heard
0: of Charlie Martin before. And she's beautiful. And she's, wow way skilled at being a race car driver
1: yes she's earned her way up the ladder and her story is very compelling she is she's a person i followed for about like the last five six years uh uh she's right now trying to break into uh the big leagues in endurance racing her goal is to be at the Lamar 24 hour next year she's trying to get funding and get backing for it i mean she's really earned her way last year she was in the michelin Lamar cup which is a a big step on the way to getting into the main classes for the European Le Mans series and get to the 24-hour. She was scheduled to run a warm-up race at Le Mans last year, and then at the last second, the funding fell through. And I, I don't know why anybody wouldn't want to back this kid. She can, drive the, she can drive the car. She's very fast. She's won at a lot of the feeder levels. She's very well-spoken, very well-spoken. She would be a sponsor's dream. So I've, I hope that she can get the money together. And a sponsor just really – I'm hoping that a sponsor just steps up and says, this kid's a talent. This kid's a talent. Let's get her in the seat and put some backing behind her. She's really that good. Right now she's commentating for an esports tournament over these next two – an e-racing tournament over the next two weeks. And I'll tell you, she's good behind the mic, but I want to see her in the cockpit of a race car, and I want to see her at Le Mans next year. Hey, Charlie, we want to we beam you up. Just so you know, we want to beam you up. Me too. I'm also excited about the new push by Sid Ziegler,
0: the co-founder of Oatsports, to try and make a change at the Hall of Fame. You were talking to me about that, uh, Carly. What's that all about?
1: Uh, well, it's all about is former Washington Washington NFL team tight end Jerry Smith. Jerry was one of the best in the league in the 60s and 70s. He owns the NFL record for the most touchdowns by a tight end. That record stood for 27 years until a Hall of Famer broke it. Tony Gonzalez, who played for the Chiefs and the Falcons, he's a Hall of Famer and he broke that record, but Jerry held it for almost three decades. He was an excellent player, played for the great Washington teams that were coached by George, first coached by Vince Lombardi and then coached by George Allen. George Allen played in a Super Bowl, made the playoffs eight straight years, was considered one of the best at his position for a long time. And he wasn't now. One thing, he was a gay man. He was not out as far as the public, but he was out within the locker rooms and people in the league knew. And in fact, um, NFL Films did one of their football life documentaries on him. And this was a guy who was well-liked by people he played with, people he played against. I mean, Jerry Smith was a good football player on the field, just a good person off of it. The sticking point, to many people in regards to Jerry Smith being voted in the hall of fame, because you could have made a case years ago. He's never been in even a finalist for it. He's never gotten past. Like I think the first or second round of the balloting process is the matter that he died of AIDS at the time when AIDS was a taboo thing. And then, and, and we're talking about the 1980s, the high, the, the early plague years, he died, I believe in 1980. He died in, I believe 1986. And. There's still a there's still to this day a lot of stigma because as I said before, he was not out public out publicly, but he was out at a place where it mattered. He was out to the people in the locker room, and it was it was one of those known secrets throughout the league that he was. But at the same time, the rule of the locker room is what's in the locker room stays in the locker room. People did not out him, but to a lot of people who vote on the Pro Football Hall of Fame and whatnot, that will always be a mark against him. And now me personally being a football fan, now one thing, being cognizant of the people who are at his position at the time he played, there's Hall of Famers and there's Hall of Famers to be in that group. But he was right there with them. You look at the John Mackeys and the Mike Dickas and the Charlie Sanderses and the, Dave, and, and the Charlie Sanders and the Dave Caspers. These are people who are in the, in the hall. And Jerry Smith was mentioned in the same breath with them and often was picked as an all pro and a pro bowler over them for a number of years. This guy deserves a look. And I like the fact that Sid and Outsports are out there openly campaigning. And I hope, for example, Sid. I hope that during Super Bowl week, when the votes are done, I hope you're at the Super Bowl and during Super Bowl week next year, getting in front of the voters and saying number 87 needs to be in the hall. Jerry Smith should be there. He should be in Canton.
0: I'm with you, Carly. That's great to hear. And why don't we make sure that we join Sid in that campaign come Super Bowl weekend. But right now, it's Thanksgiving Day weekend. I am just so excited about having turkey leftovers for the next three weeks. How about we get away from all the Thanksgiving stuff and we take a trip back in time? Let's do some time travel. We'll slingshot around the sun. We'll roll the chronometers backwards. Let's get into Transporter Room, episode one. Do you remember Jessica Fearon? Jessica is a runner. She is a roller derby athlete, and she was our very first guest.
2: My transition really started um, when, just um, about five years ago, when I started to really kind of think through uh, how my life was going to end. Um, you know, you get into your 50s and you start to think, you know, um, where, what, what what, mark am I going to leave on this life? And, and, and who am I? Um, and that was about five years ago. And since then, I've found a new sport. Uh, I've found um, uh, I'm in a band. Uh, I have an amazing network of friends and, and, and people who, who love me. And, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I was looking at social media and all the things and how many friends I have on Facebook as a, uh, you know, in, in kind of that old profile. And then this new world that I'm in as, as a woman as as Jessica Fear and, and it's you know I like twice the friends and I've only been around for like four years. Um and it just it's a reflection of of how much happier I am as a human being.
1: And she's the backup bass player for New England's all transgender live band, Jody Jolt and the Volt. That's important too. And an excellent way to start, I really like how she shared her story with us, how she was very open and very witty and very funny. It was a good opening show for us. And it's the type of opening show that you want. Somebody who's a little bit off the beaten path. It was a very Charlie Rose-esque opening show. I liked it.
0: Uh, I love that description, except we didn't fondle her or touch her in any way. (laughs) True. (laughs) you (laughs) You mentioned Charlie Rose. I'm sorry. That's what I think about now. He's ruined, he's ruined Charlie Rose for me. You know, we talked about being a trans athlete and how different the bodies are in terms of being someone who lived your life pretending to be male. And she said something very surprising.
2: You know, I, I had one of my the players from another team we played out in Akron, Ohio, roll up to me and she kind of looks at me and she goes, huh, you know what that badass <laughs> <laughs> and I and I laughed at I smiled you know and I and I said I'm I'm sorry I don't know and you know I kind she was trying to intimidate me and I kind of skated back I did my thing and I cut through I did beat her um but we only won that game by like 3 or 4 points and I was the low j- scoring jammer that night I think Sable and Mamba both beat me that night <laughs> <laughs> I really love that
0: that was great but she was a great first guest because I like the idea that we introduced our listeners to somebody who they may not have heard of, unlike our second guest, CeCe Telfer, the NCAA track and field champion. What a thrill it was to hear you two talk about how you have inspired each other. That's what I tell
3: myself of all these ignorant individuals is that they have an egocentric mentality. And it was really hard that first semester first semester was so hard and then coming into the outdoor season i knew that i had to leave that attitude behind that depression that negativity all of that sadness behind and then carly came out of nowhere and i just had so much something more to focus my energy on and i had somebody else validating you know who i who i am and it was just so awesome having carly there to talk to to you know like send some texts to and and honestly it 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 meant a lot that whole season, when I was down,
4: I looked at you and said, as much as you're going through, and, and I still have
1: the email. I still have it when you were like, hey, the dysphoria is hitting me. Girl, girl, the dysphoria was hitting me too. And it, I mean, I remember you sending me an email the morning of a duathlon I was doing. And and that picked me right up. That <laughs> That made me two minutes faster. I will tell you that. I'll tell anyone that that oh makes me my sense gosh. Sense. Wow. When I'm not doing sport, I'm an operator for Trans Lifeline. You're one of the people I think about every time I put my headsets on and take calls and help our people. Mm-hmm. I think about you. Excuse me why I, I get a tissue. Because <laughs> that's got me in my feels all over again. It was great talking to CC. We're working on actually meeting each other in person very, very soon. Uh, we'll, we'll give, uh, we'll get you the deets on that when it happens. But for me, that really took me back to that entire spring, that entire indoor season earlier this year and the spring leading up to the division two national championships in Texas in May. And again, for me, I even wrote a poem about it. I mean, picture a person in an, in a lift going to dinner with two other people with two teammates you're in the backseat of a lift and you're trying very really hard to contain your excitement as you're as you're looking at your ipad looking at the ncaa streaming feed watching cc get out the blacks take off like a shot and and win and lead the race lead the 400 meter hurdle race the championship race wire to wire and doing it in dominating fashion and you could see just the look in her face. It was the pain, but also it was the joy that I'll never forget. And reminiscing about that moment and honestly being in tears, talking to her and interacting with each other. I have a feeling those waterworks are going to flow when we finally meet in person. And to me, that's what that show was was really about, because Cece's done other interviews, but. I like the way that we really captured an essence and I encourage people to download that episode and really get to know what that story is about away from the clickbait.
0: All of our episodes are available on Apple podcasts, on Spotify, on Spreaker, on CastBox, even on player FM. And of course at the bottom of most every outsports.com story plus you can also find us on Facebook at The Transporter Room. And we enjoyed CC breaking some news, saying that she's going to train to compete in the 2020 Olympics. I got to tell you, the clock is ticking. It's a little worrisome. She doesn't have even a country to represent her yet. But I believe in this woman. She is an incredible force to be reckoned with.
1: Well, I can, I can give you a little bit of news on that. She's starting to investigate that process right now, and she she's starting to investigate the process, looking at some possibilities for representation. So the wheels are in motion to have that done. And actually, it's an easier process than you might think. It's just a matter of it's just really just a matter of finding a fit with a country that could you that could use another person or has another space, and that's that's the biggest thing. That and also running the qual- and also running the qualifying standard that is the that's also the big the big assignment for her getting getting in shape getting ready and going into the the spring season and having the wherewithal to get to meets to get the qualifying standard if she can get on get that a qualifying standard i think something like 55 2 she can go to tokyo
0: well you call it easy i would say that her um Qualifying is still hard.
1: (laughs) Oh, no, I'm not saying it's going to be a snap. I'm saying the road is there.
0: Well, speaking of the road, the road for JC Cooper remains blocked. Although this power lifter who's transgender and trying to compete like every other woman is entering into the uh, arbitration phase, she still has a long road to go. And she was our guest for episode three. Also, breaking some news, talking about how she is insistent that she be treated like any other woman
1: athlete. Another great guest, and also it was good to have also the legal side of it there as well. Having just Braverman on the show was also a good thing to have. Looking at the legal end of it, where I mean, where does state law run into this? And looking at all the different machinations and how and how this could play out. And it was great just talking to J.C. again. I got a chance to interview her over the phone for a for a story, and that ran in Outsports back in September, where she got to meet some heavy hitters in the women's sports world, and they play, and they also put their support behind her. I said in the in the headline that she was powerlifting. Megan Rapino knows who you are. <laughs> yeah, that happened. <laughs> It was fantastic.
5: I mean, it was a very electric moment because she is such a a kind and caring and charismatic person. Um, And much of the time that uh, I was able to spend with her and Lori Lindsay, um, who is a former U.S. soccer player as well. um, It was just a really it was just such a kind a kind moment where, you know, Lori and. Megan were were connecting after, you know, a long couple of months and uh they were just seeing each other for the first time in a little bit and so to be a part of that kind of like engagement and uh to be included in that uh conversation and to know that I'm that I'm supported and that uh and to be given that kind of like boost of hey, you know, you're doing the right thing, go get it, you know, it's uh something that I won't I won't forget and I'm uh, happy that you know Lori and I have become friends and uh, we've been able to um, talk pretty extensively about uh, trans inclusion in sport I actually was just out in DC not too long ago for the uh, trans March on DC and Lori um, came out and was there to support me while we were marching Um, yeah it's uh, it's wild and there and The reason it all happened was because I was DJing at a party uh, and Lori Lori Lindsay um, and friends happened to be there and invited me to the game the next day. So um, wild, right? (laughs) (laughs) That
0: is wild. That is wild. Dr. Mail of USEPL says you're um, confusing things by saying it's a charge and he also says it's not a ban. What's your response to those two statements?
5: Um, He may just not be familiar with how the Minnesota charging process works, but um, he might be confusing a charge of discrimination with a criminal charge. When you file a a discrimination complaint, the the form is basically called the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. It's it's a charge of discrimination. Um, That's just the name for it. So there is currently a charge, but he's not charged in the criminal sense. So maybe that's where the confusion lies. Um, And what was the second question?
0: Well, he keeps saying that the transgender participation policy is
5: not a ban. It, of course, it's a ban. I mean, if if trans women can't compete in the women category, I don't know what else to call it other than a trans. You know, it's it's a ban on transgender athletes competing. You know, if if in order for trans women to compete, you have to you know not not take your medication and pretend you're not trans and compete in the men's category, then that that's just plainly a ban on trans women
0: competing before we publish that episode i did reach out to usa powerlifting dr larry mail hailing frequencies open you can join us we'd be loving hearing from you but so far he's decided to stay in his own neutral zone away from the transporter room and not talk to us i'd like to hear his side and to ask him to explain a couple things Hey, that sound means we've got to take a break. But we'll be back with more of our look back through time in the Transporter
1: Room. And we're back for this special holiday edition of the Transporter Room, where we take a little bit of time travel to look back at the best of our first six shows. Let's move on to
0: episode four. Episode four was another favorite of mine. I really enjoyed talking to Chloe Sy Anderson, someone I met at OutSports Pride in LA earlier this summer.
1: Another person whose story I've really followed, getting into college, volleyball at the NCAA level, having that opportunity to play, the, all the things that she went through and the trauma that she went through and now how she's in many ways come back to that, come back from that. And move for it, and is pledging to work in the community even more, and out there telling her story—that was a big deal. And plus, she's a larper so she's already cool with me. I mean, being someone who's in the cosplay and a lot of geek culture—that really speaks to me. And she talked about that a little bit. But main thing is though, just her story and how, and how she's had to teleport through trauma and fight back, and done, as, as people, both of us, who've had to go through some private hells to get to where we are, that spoke to me.
3: This isn't something I'm super fond of saying, but after my season at UC Santa Cruz, I um, did develop PTSD about the whole thing. Um, I couldn't actually look at volleyball on TV for probably two and a half years without having some sort of flashbacks about the way that my coach had treated me Um, and it really made it hard to feel like I could love something that was such a big part of my life I played volleyball for 14 years and now I'm 27 so it's still more than half my life and it feels like I I couldn't even look at or acknowledge volleyball and that really hurts it feels like part of me was Taken away, and I felt very empty for quite a number of
0: months afterwards. She is a very intuitive, sensitive, and very strong, yet vulnerable woman. Who, when I met her this summer, I got to tell you, I, I don't usually do this, but right in the middle of our panel discussion. I had to stop and give her a hug because that's the kind of feeling she evokes. I got to say, I felt sad that she would still like to be playing volleyball, but feels like she can't. And that really broke my heart. But I guess that's something that we all have to face at some point that something you want to do isn't something you can do. And then you have to decide well, what do I do with all this energy? Where do I go? Our next guest is someone who has taken the time to really look into the psyche, really look into our struggle. And she herself is a trans woman who loves sports. The Oregon Duck fan number one, Bethany
1: Grace Howe was our next guest. Wasn't she fun? She was a lot of fun and also really made you think.
6: And I was talking to a 14 year old who absolutely knows, they know they are transgender. And what is the most difficult thing for them is they live with a family that will not let them gender transition, will not let them take hormones, will not let them do anything. And so as the tragic narrative so often goes, is they're watching their body turn into something that they, they know they're not. And and what they articulated to me was, you know, I, I know having these choices is wonderful, but what is so hard for me is, is watching my friends who are being allowed to take hormone blockers and who are being allowed to, to embrace their lives, and I'm not. And I almost wish I didn't know that that other world existed. I almost wish that I lived in a world where I just thought this was just me and I would learn to live with it. And, and it was so hard for them to know that what they wanted was literally, to depersonalize, it was literally sitting in the desk next to them in class, and they couldn't touch it, and it was just devastating for them.
1: Honestly, the show that we got wasn't the show I was expecting at first. I was expecting, honestly, because of some of the things that she wrote in some blogs, I was expecting to have somebody. I was expecting to joust a little bit. In fact, it was the exact opposite. This was somebody who I who, who I really kind of latched onto and said, "Hey, there's something here." And I liked and talking about her scholarship, especially that is a huge thing. And I hope that in the future we're doing another show with her when the findings of the of the project that she's working on come out in full and are published it's very interesting the level of scholarship that she's putting in into this to really give people a picture of what transgender America really looks like. And again, this is one of our people telling our story and telling it the way it needs to be told from our perspective, not a cis perspective trying to speak for trans people, but trans people speaking for ourselves. That'll always get my attention. And I'll tell you, Bethany Grace Howell has made a fan, made a fan in that show and myself.
0: And something we didn't mention in the podcast, but I'd like to disclose to everybody listening right now. Now, Carly, you know that Bethany is tight with Caitlyn Jenner,
1: right? Yes. And she wrote an excellent column on Caitlyn. And it was something that I found I agreed with.
0: Well, Bethany went to bat for us to see if Caitlin would join us in the transporter room. So far, she's
1: declined politely, but you know I'm gonna keep trying. Well, that's all we can do. But I can say this: Come on, come on, Caitlin, come on in. We're hey, we're ready to beam you up. Let's talk. Let's chop it up and let's talk. I mean, make a make a track geek happy. Get on our show.
0: My favorite guest so far, and it's only because. I idolized this woman so much and I felt like we brought her down to earth a little bit. We got fans to listen to Monica Roberts, the icon, the blogger, the activist, the advocate, the hero, and someone who you call auntie general.
1: (laughs) I'm snapping a salute right now to auntie general Monica Roberts. What, what more can you say that you didn't say already? Monica. Monica Roberts in my mind Is one of the foremost bloggers In the blogosphere I mean trans cis whatever At another level she is a She's been a hidden hero I mean she was for trans rights Before the tip long before the tipping point Long before it became the Vogue thing to talk about Long 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 before Pose became a TV hit Monica was, was Serving the realness Monica, give me the lay of the land.
0: I remember when Houston passed its ordinance to protect human rights and then it got overturned. Yeah. Is Houston an island of progressiveness or is there really uh, a, a bigger, diverse Texas that I know of? It just seems that Texas has a really bad reputation na- nationally.
4: Uh, Texas is like any other red state. We have islands of progressive. I say, uh, islands and areas of progressive uh, movement. The Rio Grande Valley, is hev- because it's heavily Latino, that is stretching all the way from the Gulf Coast all the way back to El Paso. That's blue. Austin, San Antonio, Dallas, Houston, those are all progressive cities. Um, anywhere with a college, pretty much um outside of texas a&m and uh and uh and uh college station that kind of belies that but what you know most places that have colleges they are progressive so and you know as i pointed out the uh, you know the polit the uh the um you know the population demographics have shifted since 2009 The only thing that is keep the only reason that the Republicans have kept control is because they gerrymandered the hell out of the state back in 2011. And they put in that voter suppression law. So we got a shot at fixing that next year. And John Cornyn's up for reelection next year. So we want him gone.
1: What's the early line on a possible challenger? For Cornyn, Uh, what's the early line on a possible challenger?
4: we've got four democrats running in the primary um one of them is mj hager who who narrowly uh lost a challenge in one of the districts in the austin area um uh, senator royce west from dallas is in this one so but for the most part, nobody's really focused. I said I think they're just now getting to the point where, well, because you know we still have a, a municipal election here in Houston that we are dealing with, so we're not really going to uh, say focusing on the statewide stuff until after we get through this runoff and uh, on December fourteenth. Have you ever thought about running yourself, Monica, running for office? Harris County Party's been asking me since two thousand fourteen. <laughs> So I'm thinking about it. But what I would would like to do is actually go through some victory fund training uh, before I do that. Because, you know, if I jump into this, I am not going into this just to, oh, she tried. No, I want, you know, if I'm going in, it's because I have a shot at winning it. Just, you know, you go and just want to be I a token candidate. You want to be mm-hmm. a victor. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, because we've had we've had a couple of trans folks that have run for office. Uh, you know, Frankie um, Gonzalez Wolf ran for San Antonio City Council seat, and she did quite. You know, she got she got about seven thousand votes, but that was on you know about twelve percent of the vote, but it wasn't enough in that district. Uh, you know Finn Jones uh ran for a state house seat and unfortunately he was running against one of the one of our major enemies in Tony Tenderho uh Tenderholt and uh, he didn't get enough support really from um you know from our LGB you know say from our LGB brothers and sisters so uh to uh take uh, to take know uh, take him out and we've also had you know Jennifer Renee Poole run for city council and against the aforementioned Steve Raddick and the first time she ran for council she narrowly missed a runoff Uh, and then you know and then she uh when she ran for Harris County uh I say I say precinct, precinct 2 uh she um won in the democratic primary, but got blown out. The demographics have changed radically since that race four years ago. Texas is undeniably purple, trending blue
1: one more can you say she's been a strong leader and she's been a strong leader for this community and a true leader for this community and in my mind, a very unsung and underappreciated leader.
0: you know a lot of the this- Arguments are directed directly mm-hmm. at kids, and yeah, and you know what? I, I I protect my kids like any mama bear. I don't want nobody yeah. talking bad about my kids. And when when people start attacking children for being cheaters and for um, not being who they are, and you know, disallowing them yeah. to live their dream, I get personally yeah. very upset about that. I, I wonder what you have to think, think about that, Monica.
4: Yeah cuz uh you remember a couple years ago when Mac Beggs uh trans I uh, say a transmasculine wrestler wasn't allowed to wrestle against boys. So he was yes, basically put in a no win. He was put yeah, he was put in a no win position of either quitting or being forced to wrestle against girls. And here's the kicker. You know, Mac basically took a very low dose of testosterone, and, you know, and they still tripped. This, you know, that, that was the fault of the I UIL. Yeah. Yeah, and he won back-to-back uh, Class 6A championships, but, uh, you know, and went undefeated in both of those seasons, but he would have rather been wrestling against the boys. Like, that is was now. like was now
1: yeah.
4: yeah, They're using the same talking points that they use to try to justify uh, segregation of African American athletes back in the day. They're using the same talking points. Substitute black for trans, trans for black.
1: Can you say that they're one more time for the, the black folks th- in the back?
4: <laughs> yeah. Once again, they're using the same talking points to oppress trans athletes that they did when they were aiming jim crow segregation at us.
1: This is a person who's been getting her hands dirty and getting her hands dirty in a pl- in a difficult place to fight for trans rights. She's in Texas. And she's personally been getting a lot of things done and moving things in Texas slowly but surely. She's been getting she's been getting a lot done. I mean, the fact that Texas is in play, Monica's had something that is in play politically now. Monica's had a lot to do with that. A lot more than people realize. And it was good to get that part of the story out. I agree. And I can tell you, she's somebody I'd march behind any day. She's been an inspiration for my own efforts. And it was just overwhelming and it was awesome. I'll admit I'm fangirling to get to meet Auntie General Monica Roberts.
0: Well, like she said, she was at that place in her life once.
1: Want to switch gears?
0: Talk about
4: sports here for a minute. Like any Texan, I love me some football. <laughs> yeah, still do. Um, you, you probably noticed while every week I, you know, I say I, I do a NFL predictions for that particular week's games, uh, and have for several years now. I am sorry that I forgot to ask her about the Houston
0: Astros. Because as a Houstonian, as someone from Houston, I really expect that she has an opinion about this raggedy team that went to the World Series and should have had a LGBT Pride night. The fact that they have never had a Pride night except for one little experiment like a dozen years ago is really embarrassing. And the fact that the MLB lets them get away with it is disgusting to me.
1: I'm in, I'm inclined to agree with it. All the more re, all the more reason why I would love to see a rainbow laces campaign here in the United States. I'd love to I'd love to see it and get it out front. I mean, grant I mean, shame is shame is a hell of a motivator and I think the Houston Astros need a little bit of it.
0: As we call mm-hmm. this thing the transporter room. What's your particular uh, poison? What kind of uh, sci-fi are you a fan of?
4: I love Battlestar Galactica and also Star Trek. So say we all. <laughs> so yeah, say we all. Definitely.
1: I especially love the reboot. They I love the reboot. I still been I
4: actually it. I actually you know when when the mini first came out because I loved the original. I was like, Oh yeah, blah sure. blah 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 and then I actually sat down and watched it and I went, Okay <laughs> It's different and I say I say Commander Adama is Latino. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> they have a female president. Okay. Boomer yeah. is Asian. Okay. They say Starbucks is a woman. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it <turned laughs> out. And it turned say, and the storylines kind of mimic what was going on in the wake of nine 11 in the wake yeah. of nine eleven. The way Star Trek did in the 60s. Yeah, I really like yeah. that
0: about Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. The reboot. So
4: I really, yeah, so the writing in Battlestar Galactica really appealed to me as a writer. Um, because, you know, I like scripted TV series, you know, dramatic series. And, Galact- you know, Battlestar Galactica basically delivered the goods and then some.
0: Lily, Sy Anderson. You told us that you love Star Trek. In particular, there's one show in the franchise. That really means something to you. That is Star Trek Deep Space Nine? Oh, break my heart. I love it. This is called the Transporter Ooh. Room. I read that you, Jess
2: Fearin, you are excited about Matrix 4. Oh, yeah. The Wachowski brothers are coming back, or sisters, I should say now. Sorry. Yeah,
5: sisters now, right?
0: <laughs> well, Carly, this is the end of our uh, travels for this particular episode, but coming up. Next week, the first episode of the last month of 2019, Juniper Eastwood, the first out transgender division one cross country runner, the conference leader of the week. She is our guest here in the transporter room.
1: Being a runner, I'm looking forward to that. Can't wait for you, Juniper. We have the transporter ready for you. All right. Steady as she goes,
0: Mr. Sulu. Have a great holiday weekend, Carly.
1: Don, so have a great holiday weekend, and as we get into a bigger holiday season and some great shows to end this year.